Welcome to the Run Run Live 4.0 podcast, where we plumb the daily adventure of endurance sports. Let us seize this precious moment together and squeeze the life from it like a golden lemon sent to us fresh today from the emissaries of the gods. Terribly happy guy Then he ate a moldy pumpkin pie Then he thought that he just couldn't die So Ned, he laughed so hard and made him Hello, my friends, and welcome to episode 482 of the Run Run Live podcast. Today, I'm going to gift you with a long screed entitled Zero to Hero, How to Go from Zero Miles and Injured to a Marathon in Six Months. But before I go there, let's do some bidness, some bidness. I went back to the old Run Run Live 4.0 bumpers because I like them. And bumpers are those little schniblets between the different sections of the show. And I, I didn't like the new ones that I had, I had those done for me by a starving artist. I just didn't like them. Uh, the old ones are voiced by members of our community. Uh, that opening bumper about squeezing the life from lemons is by our old friend. Uh, the the strumming guitar and singing are the styling of Adam Tinkoff. The move you to the exit is Steve Chopper. And the harmony on the last little bit of the outro is Adam and Eddie Marathon. So <laughs> if I ever do interviews again, the featured interview bumper is a younger version of my talented daughter, Katie. And they make me happy. <laughs> Hopefully they make you happy too. Secondly, I spent some time last weekend loading old shows into my new Acast feed. I got all the way back to episode 250, which would have been the end of 2012, I think, or maybe the fall of 2012. I took a hiatus in there somewhere, which was kind of funny because the title of episode 250 was the last show, right? Now we're on like 500. And this is why some of you may have noticed that episode 251 with where I interviewed John Metz, uh, that errantly dropped into your feed as a new show. So to get these shows up on Acast, I have to backdate them uh, to get them in the right order. So it's you have to go and like go from 2023 all the back way back to 2013. That show was from January in 2013, and I must have missed a save button somewhere along the way, but I have fixed it. But in all seriousness, that show is probably a good example of the format that I used to have back then. I have not listened to it, but if you have, that's an 11-year time travel into the past, 
If you liked it, there are plenty more of similar size and shape out there. At some point, I'm going to go back and listen to all of these from beginning to end and learn something about myself. Maybe that's a good, uh, you know, that's something you, that you take with you on like what, the uh, Appalachian Trail or the Pacific Crest, you know, you have those 400 hours of audio. But other than that, enjoy this essay on training around our constraints. On with the show. It is when we learn to leave our comfort zone that we find ourselves communing with our inner strength. Zero to Hero. So today's lecture, students, is entitled, How to Go from Zero Miles and Injured to a Marathon in Six Months Without Dying. Or for the short attention span crowd, Zero to Hero. In this post, I'm going to detail my recent training cycle and some of the lessons learned. First, the starting point. We need to go back a couple of years. Sherman set the way back. If you're old enough to get my cultural references, we can still be friends. And you know, looking back on the Rocky and Bowwinkle show now, I suspect it was created by a bunch of what we would call neurodivergent creatives, who would probably be institutionalized in our current climate. I would have loved to be in that writer's room. When I popped my knee in the spring of the apocalypse, I was in really good shape. I was rolling off a solid five-year run of training and big events. I was lean, I was fit, and I had a very deep base from all those miles under my belt. And it took me a good year to two to lose all that fitness. So here... Students, is our first learning point. You may want to write this down. It'll be on the test. You do lose race fitness very quickly. But core base fitness takes a long time to bleed off. My body was adapted to that constant training for many years, and that structurally changes you. That's an investment that you retain. There's a deep long-term mental and physical adaptation that you accumulate. This would be the starting point of our story, the baseline, if you will. I was fit, and I could still run, but it hurt when I ran. Real pain. And what do I mean by real pain? Well, another artifact of training consistently, and one might say vigorously even, over many years, is that you get to know pain in a nuanced way. And this topic warrants a whole book, but let's just say you get a feel for the different types of pain. Let's start with the normal pain of training, right? There is familiar discomfort in effort of taking a race or a workout to the edge of your abilities. And that's how you get better. You become very familiar with this type of discomfort. The example might be the pain of holding pace in the late laps of a 1600 on the track, or the pain of moving forward and holding your form at mile 23 of a marathon. Also, there are the normal aches and pains of muscles and tendons and fascia that have been stressed. 
This is that achiness the day after a hard workout. We learn to appreciate these aches and pains as proof that we are investing in our body's structural reconfiguration by breaking down and building up. And then we get into potentially bad pain. These are our body's warning signals that we need to listen to and be able to, with experience, diagnose the pain of injury. And this is where experience helps. Because these might be minor run-of-the-mill tweaks, like a slight muscle tear or the beginning of a tendonitis. As you progress through a training cycle, you will have several of these minor flare-ups that you will need to service, need to understand, learn from, and service. And examples are things like an achy runner's knee, IT band soreness, Achilles soreness, the beginnings of plantar fasciitis. We all know these types of tweaks, and they're easy to notice, easy to diagnose when you have the experience. And most of the time, with the proper attention, therapy, and maintenance, they can be managed before they get chronic. My point is, as you learn to listen to your body, with experience, you feel the nuances in these pains. But there is the pain that we have to pay attention to, the bad pain, the sharp pain, the oh crap, something is definitely wrong here pain. And that's what my knee was. There was a sharp pain when my foot planted mid-stride through the toe-off. That kind of sharp, weight-bearing pain is a message from your body that you should stop. Now, there are additional diagnostic points when determining the seriousness of one of these pains when you get them. And the first one would be, does it get worse or better as you run? Because many of the common tendonitis and even some joint issues will actually calm down once they warm up. So that is a sign of tendonitis. And a, and a second thing you can ask is, does it hurt after the run, and does it hurt worse after the run? And for me, this sharp pain in my knee checked all the boxes. It hurt when I ran, it got worse, <laughs> and it ached after. So sure enough, after several thousand dollars worth of MRIs, it showed a deep bruise in the left condyle, among other things. And the condyle is that nubby thing that sticks out of your, your bone on the, on the end. Similar to a stress fracture, but in the sort of semi-spongy tissue of the bone joint. And to bring this back around to what I was talking about before I went on this long rant about listening to your body and being able to feel feel the flavors of pain, which sounds like the title of a snuff film, my starting point was I was very fit, but I had this real pain. I could still run on it, but it hurt. And at the time, I was still qualified for Boston. That first year. But with the apocalypse, they changed it to a virtual, then they pushed it to the fall. And I still had the fitness to run a marathon. I just goofed through it with a walk run to get it done. And same thing for the 2021 race, the virtual race. I kept trying to restart my training, but each time the knee would flare up and I'd need to stop. And I set a goal in 2022, because I'm a goal guy, to run the Flying Pig Marathon in Cincinnati. So that's a full two years after the injury 
manifested. But even using the walk-run methodology, I couldn't get around the knee issue, and I had to drop back to the half. I just couldn't get the training in. I could not find a way to run pain-free. So I stopped running altogether after limping through the Flying Pig Marathon in uh, half marathon in April of 2022. And I made a hard transition to cycling, trained all summer on the bike, outside, which culminated in a two-day, 250-mile ride across Massachusetts that August. For the rest of the year, I took on weightlifting, managed to hurt my back a couple times, go figure, did some long hikes with the dog on the weekends, but basically devolved all the way to the bottom of the fitness barrel until I was down to the dregs of my fitness. Dregs is a cool-sounding word that was borrowed into Middle English from Old Norse. It means the particles of solid matter that settle at the bottom of a liquid, such as tea, coffee, beer, or wine. And by Old Norse, of course, we mean those homicidal gingers, the Vikings, that descended on England in the 8th century and kicked the crap out of the local Anglo-Saxons who'd gone soft. Both Viking and Anglo-Saxon cultures were big drinkers. But they can be excused. I mean, it was the Dark Ages, and they didn't have good internet connections, so why not snuggle up with a warm, cloudy pot of mead and slurp it down to the dregs? Why not? Sadly, they've become civilized now. They're enlightened, and they're civilized. The UK only ranks 20th on the alcohol consumption by country list, and Sweden has dropped all the way to 47th. The use of the word dregs, fell out of use, became unpopular in the 1900s as brewers learned how to filter these dregs out of our liquids. Didn't need the word anymore. But dregs is making a comeback now because it is a handy, smart-sounding insult to call someone you don't like. R.E. The dregs of society. That right there is what's known as cultural commentary. If you're an old word that wants to be more popular, become a handy way to demonize someone. And at this point, new listeners will be scratching their heads and thinking, what the hell, Chris? I thought this was an instructional piece on how to come back from a chronic injury. Where is the third-person scientific abstraction that we were promised? Ah, didn't we talk about this? Last episode, demented weasels, neurodivergent brains. Anyhow, anyhow, what I do is not reporting or analysis. It is storytelling. And in storytelling, as in life, sometimes you have to chase the rabbits. Coming into 2023, my fitness was gone. I was fat-ish and depressed. In the new year, I started doing some short, easy runs, two, three miles, agonizingly slow. I had no fitness. I was out of breath. I had to walk a lot. But if you're looking for positives, which I would encourage as a fine way to navigate life, enough time had elapsed that I could both mentally and physically forget my 2020 self. Those paces, that fitness, they were all gone and out of mind, a thing of the past, a distant memory. And this 
students is our next learning point. When coming back from a chronic injury, you need to forget the athlete you were. You need to let all that stuff go. You need to start at the beginning with the mind of a child. And frankly, that takes time. Time heals all wounds. That's a sentiment attributed to the Greek dramatist Menander in 300 BC. And that right there is a commentary on how all knowledge already exists, but it doesn't matter because we as individuals need to learn it for ourselves through trial and error to really learn it, to internalize it. But you know what? Once you let those expectations go, it's very freeing. You can learn the joy of being a beginner. You remember what it's like to cherish those small things. And you remember that this is all a gift. Like I said, I was slow. And you respond, of course you were slow. You were out of shape. But it's more than that. And this is our next learning point. I had to learn how to run slower. I had to forget my previous easy pace. And as facile as this sounds, it's actually a technical point to run at a pace a full, let's say, minute per mile or more slower than your previous training pace means essentially having to learn how to run again. And the mechanics of that slower pace are different. You can't just slow down your old mechanics. You need to learn new mechanics, and this takes practice. The same years of practice you used to learn that old pace and those mechanics. The natural reaction to running a much slower pace is to let your form lapse. And as we have discussed many, 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 many times, form is the foundation of your training. Running slower is not running with poorer form. It is learning how to run slower with good form. This topic of what is good form, again, is a whole nother book that, you know, I have covered it before and will probably cover it again. For now, let's leave it at, I had to learn good form at a slower pace. If you don't have good form in that slower pace, you get that triple whammy of being out of shape, being injured, and then being mechanically inefficient on top of it all. All right, kids, hang in there. We're almost at the point where I start training for the marathon, but I'm about to chase another rabbit. So my first road race was in 1991. It was a new 10K in Groton, the town I grew up in. That was my entry into road racing. That was the seed that would kick off these two decades of enthusiastic training. I have run the Groton 10K every year since. So yeah, like 30 years I've run this race, and I was not going to miss 2023. The challenge, of course, was that I had zero miles to begin this year, and I was so draggy that running a 10K looked very scary indeed. So in January, I tried to get out a couple of times a week to get 10K capable, and the knee still hurt, but not as much. And if I took it easy, I could run, and it didn't get much worse. It stayed at a background noise level of pain, maybe 3 or 4 out of 10. And this is our next learning point. You can work within the constraints of the injury. As I began some short, slow runs, I discovered what made the knee mad and what did not make the knee mad. 
And what made the knee mad was running up hills and any kind of sharp toe-off activity. And this included any kind of speed work. And it also included running on uneven ground. What the knee seemed to have a grumpy acceptance for was slow, steady runs on level ground. I could work with that. As I started my slow, steady, level campaign, I was starting to gain some confidence. And then, with great serendipity, I was offered a charity bib from Marine Corps. And I was dared, yes, full-on eight-year-olds in the schoolyard dared to run the Marine Corps Marathon in October. I suppose we could shoehorn in another lesson here about serendipity. That might be an extra credit question on the exam. When the student is ready, the teacher appears, which is an old Buddhist saying. The teacher in this case was my old coach who offered to train me. He gave me my first workouts in the middle of April of 2023. I was able to get enough runs in to complete the 10K distance in April at a slow jog, walking the steep bits. But now I had a goal and a coach and some idea of what my body could handle. So a quick insertion of a lesson here, which could be another whole book, which is that goals give you purpose. With my new beginner's mind and two years of fits and starts, I had a beachhead of sorts, a tiny sliver of light at the end of the tunnel. My new goal was to successfully navigate a training cycle and make it to the starting line of the 2023 Marine Corps Marathon. Okay, go refill your popcorn because we have finished the scene setting and we're on the brink of the zero to hero part of the essay. Here is our next learning point. As unsexy as it is, you need to be honest and work within your abilities. Hope is great. Aspiration is great. But when you have a chronic injury, you need to be realistic about what you can do. And for me, this meant I could run maybe three days a week. I couldn't or shouldn't do speed work or hills. I couldn't or shouldn't do many of the leg strengthening exercise that I would normally do, like lunges and squats, and in general, anything that was jumpy squatty in nature. Our next big learning point, you already know, but I will pound it with a hammer a couple of times to make sure you remember Regardless of what shape you're in and what your constraints are, a structured training plan wins every time. Winging it doesn't work. What is a structured training plan? Again, this is something I have discussed before. We'll probably do it again because the structured plan is the key to meeting your goals. A structured plan has phases. For a marathon, the typical phases are base building, strength building, and race-specific training. And then within those phases are weeks with workouts. And each workout has a purpose. And the workouts change and build over the weeks and phases as you get to your starting line with the capacity to reach your goal. It does not matter if your goal is just to finish or just to start or to qualify for Boston. You need a structured plan. And I'm going to pause here and give you a storytelling tip. If you are giving a presentation... And there are important things that you want the audience to remember. It's a good idea to pause and reinforce those points during the presentation. Let me explain. 
no matter how good you are at engaging an audience, they will only really remember the first couple minutes and maybe the last couple minutes of what you're saying. It's not your fault. It's not their fault. It's just how human brains work. That's why that first sentence, that first slide is so important. And the last thing you say is very important as well. But then how do you make them remember the stuff in the middle? Well, you pause and you highlight. This breaks up the monotony. It wakes up the brain. It's a signal to the brain to wake up because something important is being said. Tactically, how do you do this? Well, easy. You stop talking. You let a full second of silence fall like a radioactive brick, and this will freak out your listeners' limbic systems. And then you say slowly and loudly something like, if you can only remember one thing from today, it is this. And then you state the thing that you want them to remember. Variations on this could be, write this down, or this is important. So, my friends, if you can remember only one thing from today's essay, it is this. Structured training beats everything else. It beats new shoes. It beats effort. It beats diet. Structured training is the key to reaching your running goals. Great. Let's talk about the components of a good structured training plan. First, you need that base mileage, that volume. You need to be able to spend enough time on your feet in your training to run your target race. As simple as this sounds, for me, with no running over the previous years, it posed the first challenge. In addition, I had the injury to contend with. I couldn't aggressively load miles without risking the knee flaring up. And finally, the elephant in the room. I'm old. I can't handle back-to-back workouts anymore. I need more time to recover. So this meant that the baseline schedule for me would only be three days a week. And then the question becomes, how do you get the necessary volume on only three runs a week? And the answer is pretty simple. It's to make those three runs longer and supplement that volume with cycling and other cross training. So my typical week at the end of a, of the training cycle was eight and a half miles on Tuesday, eight and a half miles on Thursday, a multi-hour cycle on Saturday, and a longish run on Sunday. You can see the theory at work here. The long ride on Saturday led into the long run on Sunday, with, so that gives you back-to-back cardiovascular events. The bike ride doesn't pound the legs, but it gives you the fitness, and it gives you some tired legs. This simulates the load that I needed without stressing the legs with back-to-back runs. On the in-between days, I did yoga, core fitness, but because I was starting from scratch, those first few weeks were not eight and a half miles. Those workouts weren't that long. They were maybe five-mile workouts, and I was barely hanging on at the end of them. It took a few weeks, probably four weeks, as I learned that new pace and adapted to get some fitness back before those runs started becoming comfortable. So design your structured training to work within your constraints. And next up in a good structured training plan is the quality part of it. When you're doing your strength building, and what do we mean by quality? Quality workouts are those workouts that are designed to push the envelope. These are typically tempo, speed, hill workouts, By pushing the envelope, your gains are much faster than if you just ambled along at the same pace and effort all the time. 
I have, and will probably again opine about tempo and speed and hills, but let's not start another book chapter here. Let's just leave it at you need some quality to achieve your goals. But Chris, you ask, how do you perform quality workouts with a buggered knee? Great question. And honestly, coach did try to sneak a hill workout into my early training, and I said, no, the need won't take it. Uh, but there are other flavors of quality, of tempo, that allow you to ease into it a bit. So, for example, fartlek or surge runs, where you throw in a little bit of faster running, some episodes during your workout, and these can be as short as 30 seconds, just to engage the faster twitch muscles and learn that faster pace, have your body experience that faster pace. Then you can progress into more substantial fast finish runs, fast comeback runs, where you run the last 20 minutes or the last half or the last mile at a stronger effort. That's great race training. And this is what we did in my structured training plan. On those eight and a half mile runs on Tuesday and Thursday, I was able to handle those uh, outings without dying. (laughs) Then we started to mix in some tempo fartleks, surges, fast finish. And the fast finish runs were perfect for me because they gave me that nice long warm-up before hitting those faster paces, and that really helps with injury. And they were hard, but they were good hard. And in the past, I may have hit these tempo runs with a bit too much abandon. I always ran my tempo too fast, but in this training cycle, I was smart about it, and I was quite cognizant that the knee was watching me like some red-eyed demon waiting for me to push too hard. So I kept these tempo efforts at 70 to 80%. And you get a lot of benefit from 70 to 80% effort. It worked. In the last couple weeks of this training cycle, my paces were starting to drop, and I was getting some proper workouts in without any or, you know, much pain in the knee. And finally... In structured training, there is your final phase of race-specific training, which honestly, we ran out of time. Or I suppose we ran out of rail trail. <laughs> I pro- This probably would have been a, a nine-month cycle would have got me in actual shape for a marathon. I was able to squeeze in a 16, an 18, and a 20, but I was nowhere near fit enough for the distance, and I could have used another month or so or more Uh, to get another cycle and to build more volume, more fitness. So what else? On those days that I wasn't running, I did yoga and core work. Initially, coach tried to give me leg strengthening workouts, you know, jumpy, squatty things. But I told him, no, the knee can't handle it. And if you're still paying attention, this is another learning point. When you have a knee injury, many times the professional PT people will say something like, well, we need to strengthen the muscles around the joint, which sounds great in theory, but if the joint can't take the load, the more exercises is not the answer. And in a nutshell, my friends, this is how I was able to go from zero to hero in six months to get to the start of the Marine Corps Marathon. It also explains why I didn't have a great day. By working within my constraints, I was able to build enough fitness to complete, but certainly nowhere near enough to compete. 
I had zero hill training, zero leg strength training, and I was light on race prep miles. I'm quite proud of what I was able to accomplish. It was a unique training cycle, and I learned a lot. I was able to feel that joy of discovery again. I was able to spend some quality time with Ollie the Collie, who in the process became an excellent leash runner. He's such a great runner now out in the rail trail. And importantly, I was able to get to the start, which was my goal, to the start of the Marine Corps, but also to the start of a new phase of this running adventure. The knee, I would call it 80-90% better. I now possess the much-cherished ability to train or just to run, and that's invaluable. Think of this cycle as a proof of concept or a pilot project. The pilot program was successful. Now we get to decide how to deploy these capabilities. So, my friends, my students, in summary, for the uninspired kids who sit in the back of the class and they hope not to get noticed by the professor, they imagine themselves some sort of intellectual revolutionary secretly reading Kafka and Burroughs while their dorm mates cavort at the homecoming bonfire for you. Here's the short form. Number one, you lose race fitness very quickly, but core base fitness takes a long time to bleed off, and you never lose that knowledge. Number two, as you learn to listen to your body, you learn to feel those nuances of what the pain is. Number three, when coming back from a chronic injury, you need to forget the athlete you were. You need to start at the beginning with the mind of a child. Number four, when injury forces you to run slower, you need to learn good form at that slower pace. Number five, you can still train if you work within the constraints of the injury. Number six, when the student is ready, the teacher appears. Number seven, goals give you purpose. Number eight, a structured training plan wins every time. Number nine, you can design a structured training plan to work within your constraints and still be effective. Number 10, be careful of the assumption that you need to strengthen the muscles around the joint. It sounds great in theory, but if the joint itself can't take the load, more exercises are not the answer. That concludes our lesson for today. Leave your test booklets on the desk as you leave. And remember next week's assignment, 3,000 words on why exactly are those angels dancing on the head of that pin. Oh, one more thing. As I read through this, I realize that some of my students may not be able to differentiate between Tarzan, Lord of the Jungle, which is a pulpy Victorian African adventure novel by Edgar Rice Burroughs, and Naked Lunch, which is a beat generation dystopian dreamscape by William Burroughs. In the context above, a case could be made for both. So for extra credit, you can write three paragraphs comparing and contrasting the relative societal impacts of colonialism and racism versus drug addiction and sexual deviancy. And I think Tarzan would have made a pretty good trail runner. Or, you know, would all that swinging from vines and branches in the treetops be cause for disqualification? Okay, now we're going to move you towards the exit, please. All right, my friends, we have successfully navigated 
another episode, episode 482 of the Run Run Live podcast. Hope you enjoyed that. Felt a little long and meandering to me, you know, but hey, it's my show. I'll try to tighten it up in the future. You know, you don't want to let me off leash. It's not a good thing. Next up for me is a 5K turkey trot Thanksgiving morning, and my goal is to not injure myself. And after that is the Mill Cities Relay, where I will once more captain a team of runners. And this year I'm taking on one of the six-ish hilly legs, so that should be interesting. Again, try not to hurt myself. And I'm still doing my three runs a week, and I'm back in the gym lifting weights. I have a couple of health-related stories for you. So Ancestry.com, they sent me a survey recently. So I have an account. I'm not pay, I don't pay them anything. I'm not a subscriber, but I have an account. So they send me email. It was a bit of a lifestyle survey around habits and such. And I suppose they're looking for correlations between ancestry and lifestyle. I don't know. But one of the questions was, how many days a week do you exercise? And I said, six. You know, the real answer is probably seven, but I said six. And as I was leaving that survey, they offered up a data point, and they said that less than 4% of the respondents answered six days a week of exercise. And we're probably not talking about 100 laps in the pool here. We're talking about any kind of exercise. And that right there is a problem. 85% of health issues are lifestyle-based. Lifestyle is exercise, diet, and smoking and alcohol. Now, the answer is simple. People know the answer. They just don't do it. It's easier to abdicate your health and to blame others. So, my friends, just do this one simple thing. Be part of that 4%. Get out and walk the dog. Have your friends. Invite somebody to go with you. I went for my annual physical yesterday, as a matter of fact. Even with the three-year burp in my training, I'm still pretty healthy for an old guy. Uh, We have to see what the cholesterol comes back at. It was pretty high last year because I was heavier and I wasn't running. And my doctor said, if it's still high, we may have to put you on the meds. To which I said, if it's still high, I'll fix it through diet. And he looked at me as if I was an idiot and said, that only works with a full vegan diet. Like somehow I was incapable of understanding this. And I said, yeah, I I know a lot of vegans. I can do that. Don't worry about it. So we'll see. Lastly, he told me uh, not to get the RSV vaccine. So, and for a few reasons, and I'll tell them to you, maybe this will help you. First, it's a new vaccine. So it's only been out this year. Second, It's more intended for infants and people with lung issues like emphysema. Those are the people who are at risk. And third, there were some non-statistically significant ill effects for people with a history of AFib, which I have. So for me, no RSV. I got the flu shot. I will get the COVID booster because I have a trip coming up. But for me, no RSV. The only reason they told me to get it was because I fall in a certain age group, which now I'm at risk for everything in my age group. So I hope you, all of you, enjoy your Thanksgiving. Eat a leg or a wing for me, and I will see you out there. And then he thought that he just couldn't die. 
so Ned, he laughed so hard it made him cry.